Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome, everyone, to Rock M Nation podcast. It is Friday night, March 18th. This is season... Five, episode 26. Uh, we're still in the midst of a coaching search, so yes, that means you're getting two episodes of uh, Cuts this week. And this time, we're actually, uh, it's not just me and, and, and one Matt, I've got two Matts. So welcoming in uh, Matt Harris, uh, who everybody is familiar with from our uh, multiple uh, episodes of Dive Cuts. Uh, but also welcoming in uh, Matt Watkins. So uh, Matt has uh, been writing for the site now for a little while, and you may follow him on Twitter at DataMizzou already. If you're not, you should. Uh, so Matt Watkins, welcome to the pod. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing well. How are you all? I, we're, we're pretty I, good. I'm just remi- I'm reminded of when I was in the fifth grade, and there were like three mats and four mats in my classes. <laughs> And every and my teacher just gave up and started calling us by last names, and that's how it was through high school. It was just last names. That's all it was. 
and into college. So, yeah, this is just reminiscent of fifth grade onward. It was just Harris, Watkins. So we'll see how this goes uh, with multiple well, mats in, in and then, one you know, because space. I, I feel like we needed more mats. Uh, you know, we went and we brought in, a, you know, a second wrestling writer, and his name is, is Matthew Smith. So we're just collecting as many mats as possible. Uh, and it also goes for uh, Missouri, who may be adding another mat. Um, and so th- the main thing that we're here to talk about uh, is not the NCAA tournament and um, and Matt Harris's takes on the the you know Tennessee Chattanooga uh, Chattanooga mocks and their attempts at an upset over the Illinois Fighting Illini. But we're actually here to talk about the Mizzou coaching search, and uh, that has been going on in earnest, we believe. Uh, now since they've fired Colin from Martin, uh, it's been a week, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been a full week. Um, we have virtually no news. We have a vague idea of who the candidates are, and it seems like the best resource for how to find out who is uh, who Mizzou is after is by actually going to the other sites who are looking uh, for coaches themselves. So going to South Carolina, going to Kansas State. Um, going to Mississippi State, and seeing who they're going to hire. Uh, and and from all those deductions, it seems like the leader on the board right now might be Matt McMahon, who is the uh, 31-game-winning head coach of the Murray State Racers. Um, Matt Harris, let's start with you. Um, your general take after we got to watch the Murray State-San Francisco, which featured, you know, I think two coaches a lot of people thought were uh, probably up for the job uh your, your general takes kind of watching that game and, and obviously like we've watched other games in murray state but what, what do you think of matt mcmahon um I, just I, he runs beautiful offense um just think that you know it's a clear identity for what they want to do you can see the guts and kind of the bones and the structure of what they do and what they what the intention is there um and I think that's just sort of nice to see. Um, you know, they, they clearly want to, you know, run a lot of heavy ball screen action. They want to get their guards downhill. You know, they'll run stuff out of base sets. You know, we're not going to talk about that here. But you can see what their base sets are. You can see what they want to do. You can see what their actions are, how they want to play, how they want to use their bigs. You can just see a real clear stylistic identity. And I think it's it's refreshing to see that. Um, and I the thing that struck me, too, is, they play a decidedly modern offense, but they don't play at a blistering pace. Like they were opportunistic on the break last night, but you know, they're not a team that, you know, wants to try and push and, you know, hit 70, 75 possessions, but they still play with a, a tremendous pace and, and sort of clip and speed in the half court. Um, just really, really fun to watch them play. I think they play a fun style. They give their guards a lot of freedom. You know, they have bigs that are that are assertive and strong that they can, you know, use in multiple ways. Just it's a modern offense and it's fun to watch. Um, and it was just a nice contrast, you know. Matt, you know, <laughs> uh, Central Time Zone. Matt can talk a little bit more about kind of you know what he saw from Todd there. But I just thought you know if you watched both those teams, you know, their coaches empowered guards. You know, they played you know assertively. They looked to attack early, and they you know what they runs a little bit differently. But you can really see what they want to do and how they want to build their basketball teams and. You know, we talked about it last week. You know, one thing that I thought, you know, was sort of missing at times with Conzo was a clear sense identity structure. You know, you couldn't 
encapsulate what Missouri basketball was. You can watch Missouri, you can watch Murray State, and you know, in like a minute here, you know, <clears throat> talk about what they are and what they want to do, and that's refreshing. So it was, it's fun to watch. But I think more so than anything else, it's, it's fun to see, you know, what a team is and be able to, in one game just to have a real clear sense of what their identity is and you know how they want to go about playing the game. Yeah. So Watkins, I, you know, I know that in our sort of private conversations, we've, uh, you know, made our own preferences, uh, you know, clear, but is, is McMahon a guy who you think is like, you know, towards the top of your board or, you know, are there reservations there? Well, that, that is a good question. I, I, I look at it kind of from the perspective of profiling guys I liked, um, to kind of create my pool. Um, and this go around, I'm decidedly in favor of, a lot of the mid-major type candidates we've been looking at. Yeah. You know, the, the, there's always a, the draw of a big name, so to speak. You know, if you're, if you're able to pull a Chris Holtman, for example, we've, we've talked about him. That was somewhat speculative on our, on our part, but it, it was, it made a little bit of sense, but, you know, beyond that first tier of high major guys, it, it I found there to be a pretty big drop off. But when you got into the mid-major ranks, there's a lot of guys that I see that have potential. And obviously potential means they haven't done it yet, but I like some <laughs> of the guys. <laughs> I like some of the guys and what they bring. And McMahon is one of them. He would he would be in that top five pool of mid-major guys that I like. Um, you know, the other Matt discussed a lot <laughs> of what we what we did on offense or what Murray did on offense. Um, and what I saw a lot from them is the defensive intensity last night. Um, you know, they, they really sit down in the half court and they get after it. Um, I shared a clip on Twitter last night of uh, the last play of the first half where San Francisco ended up getting a really tough bucket on a high screen and roll. But Murray defended that play really well. They came out hard hedged the ball screen, allowed the ball handler's defender to recover. He got back, no switch, no mismatch. And, you know, credit to San Francisco. They made a tough bucket, but those are the type of things that I look for in a, in a well-coached team. You know, if you botch that in that position, it's an easy two points. It ended up being two points, but it was a tough lean-in 10-footer. You know, it was contested. It was a really, really tough shot to make, and credit to them, they made it. But that's that's one thing that really stood out to me, even in the high-scoring game as it was. San Francisco is a very talented offensive team, and you know they they Murray just got after it, and I was I was impressed with that. I was going to say, like I, I you know I think one of the things that you know clearly as you're sort of building out what you want you know, in a coach, I mean, the main reason why there's a lot of sort of hype and talk around somebody like Kim English is because of his prowess and being able to, uh, you know, to get in living rooms and recruit, you know, talent at a high level. Um, you know, I sort of made that point in my post and I, you know, I think, so if you're, if you're looking at a guy who can definitely upgrade the talent, uh, I, you know, it's clear that I think, you know, Kim would at least do that. And I think if you're, if you're trying to say, okay, so Matt McMahon doesn't have uh, power conference experience in, uh, you know, in, in recruiting, but 
man, like there's a lot to be said for building a top 30 Ken Palm team in the OVC uh, with, with, you know, transfers down and, uh, you know, and guards that sort of, you know, built, uh, fit your system and your style. Um, you know, I think about like, you know, a guy like, uh, like Justice Hill, who's, you know, kind of like their starting point guard is a guy who, you know, started at Arkansas and, and then went, you know, Juco after it kind of didn't really work out, you know, shocking that, a uh, you know, a player signed as a freshman didn't exactly get early clock. Um, <laughs> I think that was, that was Muss's first year, wasn't it? Um, but he went to, uh, went to junior college and ended up at Murray and he's been like a really, really nice player. Uh, and he's a guy that, that honestly, like clearly if he's, if he's a starting point guard on a, on a, you know, top 30 Ken Pump team, even though they're playing in the OVC and the, you know, the, the talent disparity isn't quite as deep as it is in a place like the SEC, like I'd be perfectly happy, uh, with, uh, with Justice Hell as Missouri's starting point guard next year. Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for, you know, I, there was somebody on Twitter today who was saying, you know, you have to, you know, how many John Morants is, is McMahon going to find? And to me, my response would be, well, he found Justice Hill. You know, he found Chico Carter, who transferred up. He found Trey Hannibal, who transferred down. You know, Tevin Brown was a guy rated similarly to Xavier Pinson. They were within like five spots of each other. And look at what Tevin Brown's become at Murray. You know, I'd and, be fine if Tevin Brown were starting Missouri's backcourt next year. <laughs> so, uh, to me, uh, yeah, there's an element of luck in finding John Morant, and and you can't discount that. But again, my response would be there were hundreds of coaches who watched John Morant that summer. You know, he was playing with two other high major guys, including one who's in the NBA right now in Zion Williamson. And you know what? Murray was the only one that like had their coach come in and like make that pitch within 24 hours. There was an opportunity that presented itself and they took advantage of it. So I think, you know, you look at how they do roster construction. They clearly have a template for what they want in their guards. They clearly have a way that they teach them to play, you know, and I think the one thing that I sort of stuck out at me last night, you know, Matt was talking about the defensive end and, you know, how Murray got after it. And the one thing that struck me about San Francisco was Justice Hill just kept defeating pick and roll coverages and getting to his left hand, just getting there constantly. And, you know, it was just interesting to watch that guy, you know, no matter what they were doing, if they were icing, if they were you know, playing drop, you know, he could snake it. He could, you know, just blow by. He could wait for the drop guy to recover. You know, they just teach their guards how to play well. And they find guys who are a little bit undervalued and kind of in that weird space. But that's that's part of what being a good coach is, is finding guys who fit your system and, you know, being able to develop them. So I was just really, really happy to sort of get to see know the full complement of their guards and their guards do different things they have different sort of personalities as players so I thought that was really interesting just to sort of watch and and see how that works out but you know and the last thing and I'll just you know we can save Kim we can do it now or we can do it later I I don't think anyone's discounting Kim having all the right constituent parts to potentially be a really good coach one day but if you watch like George Mason games this year I couldn't really tell you what George Mason's identity was offensively. You know, they, they kind of mix a little bit of where everything Kim's come from. You know, he's got a little bit of Frank Haith in there. He's got a little bit of, you know, Rick Barnes running some of the modified flex in motion stuff. You know, he's, he's taking little pieces of coaches everywhere and he's, you know, trying to mix it all together. And that's fine. It's just, it's hard for me to like sit down and watch a George Mason team and go, yeah, I know what I'm seeing here. You do that 
with you know a Todd Golden team or with a with a Matt McMahon team. And, and I think there's that's important, you know, that having a sense of how you're going to use guys and what you're looking for and how you're going to you know make them fit matters as much as just getting the guys themselves. But I, I don't know how you both sort of feel about that. Yeah, I'm a little. Uh... Yeah, I, I think some of that, it's it's one thing when you've been in a position, uh, you know, and to kind of give Kim a little bit of a mulligan here. Um, when you've been in a position, you know, for seven years and you have, you know, 100% your roster, you have 100% your guys and what you envision. And I think, like, to me, this is the advantage of kind of seeing what somebody like Mac McMahon and his vision is for the program. Um or just for for his program at Murray State, at least, is is like he's he's been there longer than a lot of Murray State coaches stick around. Um, I do think that in recent hiring cycles, there's been sort of a push to uh, to kind of move back to like this retread and kind of you know get the Power Five experience. And I feel like this cycle is kind of going back to a little bit more of a traditional cycle where you're seeing a lot more mid major guys kind of considered for their move up. You can see that as evidence of, you know, Florida hiring uh, Todd Golden, um, you know, some of the other names that we've sort of seen floated around for Mississippi State and South Carolina. It's, it's a lot of guys with like good mid-major experience. So, um, you know, maybe that cycle is coming back. But I think the advantage here of, of McMahon is like, uh, you know, if you're, if you're looking at poking holes, like, I mean, clearly Kim English can recruit. Uh, Todd Golden had a very senior heavy roster, a roster of guys that, I mean, he helped recruit to, to get there. Um, but he wasn't the guy driving the truck and, you know, that was Kyle Smith, you know, so seeing, um, you know, seeing like a fully fleshed out version of Murray state is different than saying like, like, is, is that what Todd Golden would do? You know, is that what Kim English would do? Uh, if they've been on a program for, four to seven years, like, you know, what are, what are their programs going to look like, you know, at that stage? And I think like, that's certainly a, a really good question. Like, cause I was just sort of saying, you've always been, I think if you were to, I, I don't think it's a, any mystery that you're at least in our conversations, you're more of a golden guy, just to you, what's the big differentiator? What was the differentiator between him and him and McMahon in your eyes? You know, I, you know, I, I know sort of, <laughs> I, I think I know what some of them are, but I just, I was just sort of curious if you would, if you want to draw that distinction as to what you think, you know, sure, put him. Sure. Yeah, I got what you're asking. Um, <clears throat> really, it, it's kind of a matter of background to me. Um, I like what I've seen from him on the court. Obviously, you know, he's only been a head coach for three years. Um, last year was effectively a lost year for um, for him with the multiple COVID cancellations and a lot of close losses down the stretch when they were playing a bunch of games back to back, you know, it, the, the on the court stuff matters, but what, what appealed to me about him is his path to getting the head coaching job. Um, I really like Kyle Smith as a head coach. Um, He is very innovative in the way he's approached the game of basketball um, I've mentioned on social media about uh, his his recruiting strategy, which is, what I, which is what I find just absolutely fascinating. You know, he went to a college professor, and he being Kyle Smith, when he was at San Francisco and said, hey, I need help. 
you know, I, I'm looking for this type of player. I'm looking for undervalued players. Uh, you know, there's so many guys to watch in a recruiting cycle. I need to know guys that other guys aren't recruiting as heavily as they should be. And here's the stats that I want to look at. He gave them to the professor. Professor comes up with this algorithm. I have no idea what it what is contained within it, but he starts churning out players. Like San Francisco's best player last night was found by this algorithm. He had one offer coming out of, uh, I think he was San Diego, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in California. He had one Division II offer coming out of high school. Now he's one of the best players in college basketball. Um, he's done that now at Washington State. And if you look at how he's turned that program around, which, you know, we've we've discussed the the difficulties of win, winning ball games at Washington State. That's that's a place where careers go to die if you're not a good coach. And surprisingly, they've landed some. Kelvin Sampson coached there. Tony Bennett coached there. Um, and Kyle Smith is doing as well as either of them have ever done. Um, he had a lot of close losses this year, which, you know, has kind of taken him out of the running in the coaching search. But, um, you know, I, I've really been impressed with him. And Golden worked with him at both Columbia and San Francisco, took over the head, jo- head coaching job at San Francisco. Um, spent two years with Au- at Auburn with Bruce Pearl. Um, when I watch San Francisco, I see a lot more stylistic components of Bruce Pearl than I see of Kyle Smith. So he he's kind of mixing and matching too, but he's finding guys based on things he learned from one coach and implementing them from things he learned from another coach. Um, not to say Mc, Matt McMahon doesn't do a lot of those same things, but you know when I'm looking at his teachers. Um, you know, you have to be impressed with with his background. And I mean, I believe he's, what, 36 years old to have that type of experience and already to have three years head coaching under his belt, um, leading the team to the tournament for the first time, I believe it was since 1998. I mean, those two turn that program around and have it rolling. And that's not an easy conference to win in either. So those are those are really the things that I caught my eye with, you know, caught my eye. And, uh, you know, obviously he's big into analytics, which he's speaking our language there. Um, (laughs) you know, that's, that's going to be an easy selling point for me with anyone, but, uh, you know, those are, those are really the big things that I like about him. And and that's sort of the thing I think that that's come through as, as we sort of prepped, I think a lot of the profile work here was just, you know, Kim's had great preparation as well. You know, I, I, you know, spent two years with Frank Kate, that was his foot in the door. I think if you go spend time with Tad Boyle, you learn how to maximize every advantage possible there. You know, Colorado is is not spending a lot of money either, and they're performing at a really, really high level there. And you know, then to use your connections, you know, through Frank Haith and back to Rick Barnes to get in there and to impress Rick and to really make a dent on the recruiting trail, Kim's earned his opportunity here. Uh, I, I don't think you can discount his preparation, but I think you look at, like you were saying with Todd, you know, I think he's he's – his path's a little different, but I don't think it's any less sort of, you know, successful for him. You know, we could talk about, you know, even Grant McCasland down at North Texas has, has really, really taken a good path to where he is now, and he's not getting anywhere near sort of the run here. You know, you talk about a Dennis Gates who's sort of on the periphery, and you look at Dennis's background. There's a lot to like there. So I think that that's what stood out to me most about the pool is – and, and I've said this before, there's not like a luminary in this group, but I think if you really dig into these guys' resumes, 
there's good preparation, there's good ideas, there's good process. And, you know, I, I think to me, the differentiator is just how much seat time do some guys have? You know, that probably automatically skews me to McMahon. But I, I really think as you look across, you know, the whole pool here of every guy you can consider, there's just a lot of guys who've who've gotten good prep and who have been grounded, I think, in, in processes that are going to work here. So it th- that's what's, I guess, sort of heartening as you come out of this, at least. If this is our pool. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we, yeah, that, 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 that that we can assign as much, but I mean, why do we think that Grant McCausland hasn't gotten more run? Uh, you know, at least, you know, you know, Matt, I, uh, sorry, Matt Harris. Uh, I know that you've kind of done your due diligence, kind of scouting the other sites and kind of, you know, reading what the, you know, the latest Intel is from, you know, from whether it's Kansas state or Mississippi state or South Carolina, just trying to determine what their pools are so we can sort of better understand our own. But it doesn't really seem like North Texas uh, and Grant McCaslin is, is <laughs> or, or <laughs> as some of our St. Louis writers, um, <laughs> CST Matt might say, M- Matt McCausland or Grant McCausland. Um, it is McCaslin, not McCausin. McCausin turns into Skinker. McCausin is the coach at North Texas. Um, but Grant's done like a really good job at a place that you know, hey, don't you undersell like, Johnny Jones? Don't you undersell Johnny's wins. time there? Uh, don't you dare! <laughs> yeah, Johnny. Johnny made a couple tournaments and and did pretty well there. They were in the Sun Belt then. They're in Conference USA now. Um, but basically, taking over from uh, Tony Benford, uh, who was there in 2017, 2013, 2017, uh, they were eight and twenty-two in Tony's last year, uh, and three twenty in Kempom. The following season. Um, McCaslin took over and they went to 146. So they, they basically have their Ken Palm rating. Um, and then since then, he, like they finished 52nd this year. I guess they're still playing, but um, I, you just don't hear his name really mentioned at all other than, you know, like we brought it up. Um, and, you know, I think a few, like, fan sites are probably like, oh, well, here's a guy who probably gets some consideration. But outside of that, you don't really see him being considered. And I'm kind of wondering. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll kick this to Watkins since I know, like, McCaslin's kind of guy. Like, um, like, why do you think he's not being considered? after last year. Um, you know, I, I feel like I have pretty good authority that he had interviewed at Texas Tech, who eventually hired yeah. Adams, and also interviewed at Oklahoma who ended up hiring Porter Moser, another very good coach, both good coaches. Um, You know, if you're getting big 12 interviews after last year, what has changed to maybe not getting any interviews this year? Let's, I mean, let's look at it. (laughs) Yeah. He he went, he went 16. They were better. (laughs) League. I mean, UAB is good. Andy Kennedy has got a very good team. Middle Tennessee State came out of nowhere and put together a good season. Louisiana Tech's always tough. Um, You know, he not only didn't regress after losing three starters off last year's tournament team, he actually improved it. And yet we're not hearing his name come up at all. And that to me is, I can't explain it. Perhaps it it is. Maybe maybe, um, athletic directors are doing a better job of, hiding who they're talking to. I don't know, but that's, that's a 
to to go from multiple interviews at big decent schools you know oklahoma and texas tech are both very good basketball programs and they're replacing long kruger and chris beard and you know if he has an interest in those jobs where well yeah and realistically i was gonna say like and realistically like i mean turning to porter moser like i i i I probably would have done the same thing, you know, like, like Porter deserved that job. He's, he's a really, really good hire. Like that's a, that's an A plus hire. Uh, I understand going to Adams, Uh, you know, Adams really lobbied hard for that job once um, uh, just lost his name. Um, (laughs) Texas coach, Chris Beard. Um, (laughs) I just watched him tonight. Uh, But after he left, like, like Adams lobbied really, really hard for that job. Uh, he's the architect of the no middle defense. Like he's one of the reasons why so many teams are kind of playing this style of defense and winning with it. So yeah, you give him a shot, and it's it's worked out well at least for Tech this year. Um, so I understand why maybe he doesn't get those jobs last year. I just don't understand why like like why Kansas State is looking more at like Jerome Tang over a guy who's like proven that he can do well with less. And, and I think like a lot of the, the places that, you know, are not swimming in resources, uh, you know, Missouri is, is probably in the mix for that. Um, you know, Kansas State absolutely is. Mississippi State absolutely is. Uh, and, and here's a guy who I think that's I think that's the biggest consideration play, maybe, here. maybe isn't the most uh, aesthetically pleasing, but it yeah, like it works. I mean, they play slow. But they guard the hell out of you. Purely a stylistic uh, thing. Like what, you know, Bruce Weber is a Gene Gady guy, Purdue school at heart. They're going to guard you first. You know, Bruce and, you know, Conzo, you know, I talked to um, Green Bay coach last year, the former one who coached Amari, and he was just like, yeah, both those two. I've tried to tell him to be like, you know, just embrace the pace. And he goes, we'll get them there. Like both those guys <laughs> have sort of been tepid about it. They never quite got there. They never quite got out of like <laughs> their kind of Purdue motion stuff. I think Zoe probably got a little bit farther into more modern base stuff, but they're motion guys and straight man to man gapping schemes. Like that's who they are. And, you know, Ben Howland, defense first guy. You know, those, I think if you're looking at those programs and you're saying, you know, these are guys who are winning average amount of games for us, you know, I think Mississippi State recruited better than K State or Missouri did. But, you know, we're not killing it on the recruiting trail. You know, we're not playing an exciting up-tempo style. Our guys are just, you know, we're seeing sort of, if anything, steady returns, not great returns. Jerome Tang may, you know, come with a little bit more recruiting pizzazz. But, again, you read about Jerome Tang, his influence was on the defensive end of the floor. Like, he's a a defense-first guy. We don't really know what his offensive sort of inclinations are. And he's never had to build a program there. So I think that that's what's sort of interesting to me is this, the thought was that Grant McCaslin was going to be a guy that teams in the Big 12 footprint wanted. What changed, you know, there? And it may just be, you know, what happened in the interview process. You know, about a week ago, it was reported out of the Kansas City Star that Tang just blew away the brass in, in Manhattan. Sometimes that happens. Um, You know, I, I'm more curious as to, you know, why McCaslin maybe wouldn't get a look at like a, Again, South Carolina, murder ball. I just feel like there's a lot of guys who are sort of defense first, you know, low possession, 
kind of guys and you know this cycle we are clearly not seeing that it's guys who I think want to play with a little bit more pep and are definitely more offensively uh inclined than what we're seeing anywhere else but it, it's it's mind-boggling to me that you know Grant hasn't gotten more traction there he's clearly you know even if I want to see more offense you know he's a guy I think who should be farther up the list it's it's sort of stunning that he hasn't been more in the mix for some of these opportunities I think part of it could be just the location of the jobs. Um, you know, with speaking of both Oklahoma and Texas tech, those are, those are kind of around his area. He's been a Texas guy most of his life. And, you know, you mentioned South Carolina, that's, he has no connection to the state. You know, I think that might be part of it. Louisiana state is obviously open LSU, but I'm not sure if anyone's wanting to put their career on the line to go down there and geographically southern louisiana has about as much in common with north texas as california and kansas there are a bunch of lsu alums in houston and dallas there's a bunch of them oh they're there (laughs) they're there um (laughs) but yeah i think a lot of it's just you know kind of where his footprint is now and i don't know if that's his his decision or if it's the um, a decision on the other side but outside of lsu and Mizzou and Kansas State, there's, you know, you're kind of reaching a little far afield. I guess Mississippi State a little bit too, but, um, you know, just once you get much further than that, he's never lived there. You know, he's never played there, never coached there. Um, You know, Texas is where he's spent most of his life. So that may have something to do with it, but, you know, no idea. I was sort of curious. Is it a position where maybe, you know, Grant is a guy who um, is is pretty happy at North Texas? Because, um, I mean, realistically, and this is one of the things that I wish, you know, more coaches would do, <laughs> uh, is just say, you know what, like, I'm in a good spot. I'm making really good money. I'm I'm able to build a winner Nico here. Uh, I'm going to wait for the right job. And... Well, right. And, you know, like, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of that that makes sense. Like, I understand, especially yeah. well for Nico, like he's also got like everybody coming back. Like it, it makes a lot of sense for him to stay. But your quality of life in, you know, Fort Collins <laughs> uh, is is pretty good. Like, yeah, go I mean, well, he's making probably over a million dollars. Right. And uh, like, I, I don't. Yeah. You know, so what what what's Grant um, making? If I remember, I think Texas? it was. A base of six, six hundred thousand or so. Buyouts one point four mil, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you're making six hundred thousand living in in Denton, Texas. I mean, you know, like Denton is right. Like it's it's not it's 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 not Dallas, but it's close. Um, you know, there maybe there is like a quality of life thing for him and. You know, I think like that's one of these things like, you know, coaches kind of get into it. Um, you know, it makes sense when you're, you know, when your kids are of a certain age and all that kind of stuff. It's entirely possible that, that you know, unless the job is within a certain region for him, that he's just maybe not interested in, in moving that far away. And so Texas Tech and Lubbock and Oklahoma and Norman, which are not far from where he is now, like make a lot of sense. He played in uh, Waco spent a lot right. of time in uh, junior college, uh, you know, coaching and stuff like that. So, um, you know, it, and, and that's one of the things that like we we don't necessarily hear the other side as a coach saying, you know, and and, and as somebody who's 
had a couple conversations with Ren Baker. Like I would like working for Ren Baker. Like he's a, he's a really good uh, athletic director. You, I mean, you're winning, you have the support of your AD, uh, you're making good money. Uh, like why not wait for the right job instead of, you know, jumping on the next job. And, um, you know, and I do kind of get the feeling that like the golden move to Florida feels like jumping on the next job. And, you know, like we've kind of talked about how, you know, he had a very sort of senior heavy roster. There was, they were going to lose a lot of the production this year. Um, you know, so it was kind of maximizing their last opportunity and, and sort of making that tournament run. Uh, and so now he's, he's, he's moving and taking a job that like, he doesn't really have a whole lot of uh, experience recruiting in the Southeast. And I'm not going to say that like he's, he's going to, you know, fail at Florida. Um, cause you know, I, I like golden. I think he's a, he's a bright guy. He understands how a lot of this stuff works and, and he'll have a plan for it, but that's definitely moving to take the next job instead of waiting on the right job. Um, and so like, I wonder like how much of an element there is that, is involved with McCallum because it just doesn't make sense to me. I realize, you know, they, they play <laughs> their tempo is the slowest in the country this year, which, uh, you know, considering how Tony Bennett plays, that's really saying something. Um, one of two teams actually, you know, have an adjusted tempo of below 60 possessions a game. Um, you know, but like, that's not that much slower than the average, game it's you know it's like six possessions slower than like the average basketball game at the high major i think yeah average possessions is probably what like 67 ish yeah so i mean i i get like the less aesthetic we're not running and and playing with tempo but um i just i kind of think that the biggest thing for me that i want missouri to do is win um, and I keep, I would always push back and anybody would say, well, like nobody wants to go to games cause the style of play is, is not interesting. And I'm like, well, it, it didn't matter how Zoe was playing. It mattered that he wasn't winning. Everybody liked watching Missouri win last year. <laughs> like it was fun watching him, you know, beat Oregon or beat, uh, you know, Arkansas or beat, uh, Alabama. Like all those wins were fun. Um, and that you know they played with good pace last year, but what's not fun is losing. And I think he he just lost too much, and so it doesn't matter to me who you bring in and what style of, of basketball they play. Like fans are going to show up if yeah. you're losing games, but you're playing fun. And, and to your point about the geographic sort of like, fit here, like I think that's sense. sort of been the one the one interesting aspect of this pool is there's not a lot of guys that you look at and go, oh, that's like if you were to look at footprints or where you would have connections here like that would sort of lean towards missouri what is one darian devries maybe dana ford having worked in southwest missouri and that that's that's where i'm going here well, like, what is missouri's footprint where i mean we saw a staff that just tried to put a pipeline into michigan and they tried to do a little bit of dabbling in ohio and tried to do some dabbling in wisconsin early on they were all about offering game elite guys out of atlanta georgia and then they stopped it was you know, th- there was never really like a consensus of here's our footprint outside of we're going to go try and offer the best guys in St. Louis, but there wasn't any real, you know, area where they could operate. You know, they couldn't go into a Big Ten footprint into Ohio or go into Indiana or go into, I mean, those, there's too many good programs in those states. 
you're going to be the third or fourth option there. So and it's kind of the same way if you wanted to go work down into Atlanta or if you wanted to get into Houston or anywhere. So I, I guess that's my whole thing is there's not anybody here that I look at, you know, that I think this is sort of a natural overlap with what Missouri's footprint is now or where it sort of operates now. So I sort of almost look to style of play as much as anything else is if you're going to have to go in and sell someone from outside, you know, Kansas City or St. Louis, you know, what are you going to be presenting them with? And I, I think that's why I come back to you know, Golden or McMahon is I think both those guys can present, you know, offenses and, you know, stylistically, you know, styles of play that I think are going to appeal to guys, you know, particularly in the case of McMahon, you know, who's had, was on staff, you know, when Missouri State had two NBA guards, you know, everyone knows about Ja, and now he's got this group. I think that's what I sort of come back to is, okay, if you don't have maybe like a natural footprint or a natural connection, what are you able to present in the case you can make in terms of player acquisition? And I just looked at you know, Golden and McMahon and thought, those guys can, pre- can present a really, really attractive case to guys. And, you know, I think that's a little bit, that's not a knock on what Grant's doing, but I think if you were to look up and down sort of the list of guys here, if you don't have a natural overlap, you know, you go to stylistic sort of choices. Maybe Golden and McMahon will probably make a little bit more sense. You know, Kim English is obviously in there because he's an alum, but uh, that's just sort of how I think I looked at the pool as well. So I'm going to interject here because uh, LSU Iowa State has gone final. Um, went final a little bit ago, but uh, I, I know um, the mass will be upset to hear this. That LSU lost. Um, by five points to Iowa State. Um, Xavier Pinson committed a turnover with about seven seconds to play, which sealed the game. I mean, I, I'd, I'll, I'll put this out there. I, I don't have any hard feelings towards <laughs> I don't have any Xavier Pinson. Towards Xavier uh, at all. You know, I, <laughs> I, like, I, I don't either. I have more hard feelings towards uh, like the Mizzou yeah. fans who like glorified his time. Xavier here. Like, was he who was he was just, until the, the he end. He was like the chosen one. He was a good player. I, I honestly wish he would have stuck around. He's a good player. I wish he would have stuck around. Uh, he didn't. He would have helped this team last so year. He kept that puffer jacket. It's fine. It's his <laughs> choice. It's his life. It's fine. But. That's enough. <laughs> That's good swag. I, like I, I don't blame you. Like that's, a, it's some nice gear. Like you're gonna, you're gonna be wearing that gear for, for no, a lot I, of I'm... years. Uh, <laughs> so I sorry to, to no, derail I just, that. No, I just bit. felt I bad for we, Kevin we Nicklebury. Really that guy about like tournament, like but deer in the headlights during like his first timeout interview. <laughs> just I, I think he. <laughs> they they got uh they, they had an intentional foul called. Uh, early in the second half, for having six players on the floor, oh, goodness. <laughs> they did not position Kevin for success. Like, like he tried, he did, he tried to sub Tari Eason out, and Tari Eason didn't come off the floor, and they inbounded the ball. They had six oh, dudes man. on the floor. Yeah, I don't, foul. I don't make a habit of Just, dancing on anyone's grave, with the yeah, with, with I, the notable exception of his former head coach <laughs> at LSU. Um, you know, you know, it's just that, that well-deserved fire that made my day seeing that news. Um, what just, just what a, I'll save it. <laughs> not a fan, not a fan of Will Wade, um, in any respect. So no, we'll keep this above board. No, 
<laughs> but sweat, uh, sweat, yeah. sweaty moobs. Yeah. <laughs> the sweaty moob yeah. blade. I don't know what LSU's going to do to find a cert. I'm I'm more fascinated on what they're going to do. Like that's the most <laughs> interesting coaching search to me out there because they have oodles of money, oodles of it. Just they got it like falling out of every space in that athletic department, and. I swear, like, I don't understand why Sean Miller is not, like, go spend money, give Sean Miller money to coach there. <laughs> like, that, this is the only thing that makes sense. You're going to get hit with NCAA penalties. He's going to get hit with NCAA penalties. Nah, you Sean Miller needs together, to go back to And you Xavier, have a good coach on the other Xavier. end. I mean, they've... But... <laughs> But like, there's nothing wrong with Xavier, and they're gonna have a coach hit with NCAA penalties. I mean, like, I just Travis Steele won like was close to winning sixty percent of his games, and they fired him. Like they, like they, he was not. Yeah. He he was he was like he was on the cusp like every year. And, like he and could never quite get over. Butler him. and Xavier have both figured out the 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 limits of internal promotion now. So, <laughs> I mean, it was bound to run out at some point. But no, I. Sean, go back to Cincy. Go back to Skyline. Get your chili. You know, just hang out, you know, over on the hilltop there and just, you know, stay low. So I know we may we we may have some regional bias, but I am I am kind of wondering what well, like no. what is the worst regional dish? Is it I'm gonna Skyline Chili or is it Sandwich Stop Pizza? Was tweeted. Sources, Cleveland's Dennis Gates has emerged <laughs> as the target in Missouri's search. A deal isn't done, and there's still administrative steps to take, but what? there is mutual interest in both parties. Okay, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm glad this is, we're going to get to talk about this. I, I'm spending a lot of time talking about Mac McMahon. And Gates is the guy who has been on the fringes for a lot of this search and a, and a lot of different places. So he's a guy like we, we've talked about a little briefly. Um, there's a lot of people who believe he is a rising star. You talk about mm-hmm. regional footprint. He's a guy who's originally from Chicago. He's recruited all over because of uh, Leonard Hamilton. He, he was a longtime assistant with Leonard Hamilton. Um, so obviously he knows how to recruit. And and yet he's a guy who I think was always kind of on the fringes because there was some, I guess, trepidation from fans being willing to accept the fact that we would hire a coach from the Horizon League, which is a, a league that's kind of uh, you know down on its – Luck. Undoubtedly, I, I I like lots of parts of Dennis Gates's resume. Um, you know, I, I liked how he took the sort of JUCO approach, didn't go straight into the portal when he had to get a Cleveland State job, which was a really horrendous set of circumstances there. Um, you know, I think eleven guys bailed out by July. There were accusations of that. You know, Dennis Felton had not like run a great program with a you know exactly. Uh, um, nurturing environment there. That program was dead in the water. He came in and he brought in, I think, seven new guys, you know, a lot of JUCO guys, but kept key pieces around. They were bad in year one. And then they just flipped a switch in year two and they were really, really good defensively. And, you know, the offensive piece, 
you know, has been kind of hit or miss, but he's a Leonard Hamilton guy. You know, you're going to expect someone who defends. It's going to be aggressive defensively. But, you know, eight years with Leonard, has worked at different places like Cal, Northern Illinois. Like you said, Chicago native, liked Cleveland because it gave him regional access to you know, Cleveland, Detroit, Pittsburgh for recruiting. They could get down into Indy a little bit. So they've tried to work through that space. Um, so I, an interesting resume. A lot of people, you know, will tell you that he's, you know, we talked to Blake Level this week. You said he's dynamic, he's engaging, he's everything you want. And, you know, there's a lot there. Blake loves him and thinks he's going to be a star. Blake loved him. But, like, I, I get the whole thing. Like, the horizon's <laughs> not the horizon of old. We don't have Valpo kicking around here. We don't have Loyola Chicago kicking around here. We don't have Butler kicking around here anymore. It's, you know, Wright State's pretty good a lot of years. Oakland under Greg Campy's, you know, had its little stretches where it's been really, really kind of feisty. But it's not like a league where there's a ton of depth. So it, it that's going to be the thing, is if you were worried about McMahon coming out of the OVC, you're probably going to be almost as worried about a guy with a shorter track record maybe coming out of the OVC, coming out of the horizon. But Watkins, what's sort of your thoughts on, on on Dennis Gates, a guy that was bounced in the first round of our coaching search bracket? Yeah, um, I didn't do his background, so I'm not as not as up on him as you are. I, I do have some some working knowledge of him. Um, you know, his time at Cleveland State made the tournament last year. I forget um, who, they, who they were playing they, last year. They got hammered by Houston. Houston, okay. But, uh, you know, making it making it in year two at Cleveland State. I mean, Cleveland State is not a great historical basketball program. Um, so to come in there, <laughs> apologies. What? <laughs> apologies to all, all of our, what are they, the Vikings? <laughs> yep, right? the, the Vikings, Vikings fans who, who might be listening into the podcast. Oh, um, uh, yeah, they are the Vikings. Folks. And we have a, uh, a, a, f- a former coach of the Vikings um, who is a friend of the pod. We had uh, – actually, no, I, don't, I think this, this predated um, Matt okay. Harris, but for the right. old Rock'em Radio days, we had Brian Tabaldi, uh, who was the Missouri mm-hmm. uh, director of basketball operations under Frank Haith. Uh, stuck around for one year under Kim. I believe he went to DePaul after that, and then he got an assistance job with Dennis That didn't Felton go well. In the uh, – the, they had a they had a they had a rough stretch. However, um, they they did recruit uh, Tyree Appleby. Um, so like Ty, uh, yeah, Tyree Appleby uh, was the the guy who <laughs> most Mizzou fans remember probably single handedly defeated Missouri this past year. Um, was a uh, a recruit to Cleveland State under the Dennis Felton regime. Um, Dennis Felton is now coaching with Ken yeah, English, uh, so it's like it's all coming full. The circle. only thing I'll say is we've watched Florida State offenses, guys. <laughs> How would you describe Florida State <laughs> offenses? Um, attack the rim, shoot some threes. A lot of uh, a lot of length on the floor. Um, not always working in one cohesive unit. Um. <laughs> Would you say jump shooting is a priority for a Florida State roster? Or a lot of lobs. I, I do. I do remember a lot of dunks. Um, sorry, I'm just playing off the cuff here, but uh, those are the, no. those are the those are the high points of my memory. <laughs> um, Sam, your thoughts on Florida State offense? 
Well, yeah, so I don't think uh, Leonard Hamilton's approach is necessarily a bad one. Um, you know, because if you play if you play fast and you play a certain type of defense and you sort of hurl yourself at the rim enough, um, you know, with a, enough athleticism, it, it's, it's going to work. But it's not always the prettiest thing. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how much of that kind of carries over with uh, with Dennis Gates. Now, uh, like, he did kind of improve. They were a better offensive club than they were a defensive club this past year, and, and considering his background. Um, it th- This is, I mean, if, if this is really the case, like, this is a little bit out of left field, and I'm, I'm a little surprised. It just feels very samey in a certain way. He, well, it like I I do kind of feel like McMahon feels very safe to me, um, and I've never like considering like the direction of the last coaching search, like McMahon feels like Blake Anderson, and and for anyone listening, won the conference this year. Like Blake Anderson is a really good football coach. Won the conference this year. He Kick ended up the going to Utah out State. State. Yeah, one conference. He's like, he's a good football coach, but I can understand why you know somebody just kind of being really pretty good at at Arkansas State for you know several years isn't going to excite Mun Choi. Uh, and so we'll take the dude who had one great season uh, at Appalachian State taking over. Uh, you know, a a really a program that was doing fine without Eli Drinkwitz, and Eli Drinkwitz came in and basically just sort of lifted them, lifted that program up just a half a notch, and they they had a they had a great season. So this, and but I will also say, like I don't necessarily think Gates. This is why I've always kind of thought they were going to end up coming back to Kim English because Kim English is very much to me like like he's Eli Drinkwitz. He's somebody who is. A, a weird out of the box doesn't really make sense, but it kind of makes sense. And so we're going to do it. And there Gates is a little closer to uh, a little more out of the box to me than McMahon. Uh, but on that same kind of like Todd golden side where, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, do you, do we think like Leonard Hamilton's building out like a a big time I, analytics? Program I'm not even think. I'm not even saying State? that. I I think the one thing I've said from the jump here is, I thought at the end of the day, if Mun Joy and we'll see what happens if this goes, I'm gonna be careful not get too far ahead because, but usually if somebody of a national writer is tweeting this. It basically means it's done. We're just hammering out the finer points of an I, of an MOU, and we're going to announce it. Although you know, that kind of happened it, with the, the the football coach search last time, didn't it? We <laughs> a name broke, and then uh, things subsequently broke after that. Uh, uh, it did. Um, this seems a little bit more buttoned up, but I'm just saying normally under normal circumstances, this is just the prelude to it being official. Dennis Gates is an engaging guy. He's a dynamic guy. He's a charismatic guy. Eli Drinkwitz is a dynamic, charismatic guy. I'm not saying Munchoy has a type. 
but he has uh, a type <laughs> and I, I think you know that's not to discount Dennis Gates's you know skill set and his background what he's going to do maybe this works out beautifully I'm saying I think that there's you know I told Sam before this started I think at the end of the day Mun's going to be a guy who's going to get in a room and we'll see what happens at the intro and how he talks about how he introduces it if this goes through where there's going to be a lot of talk about energy and charisma and, you know, and I, that's all fine. I really just want to know how are you going to organize a team defensively and offensively? Like at the end of the day, you know, Eli Drinkwitz is a really charismatic guy and that football stadium had 48,000 people in it last year. You know, at the end of the day, you know, winning games is what's going to do it. And, you know, I have a feeling that, you know, if Dennis Gates kills it in recruiting and, you know, brings in guys, but Missouri's still winning 18, 19 games a year, we're going to be in the same sort of position there. You know, I, so I think that's sort of my thing is I look at Dennis Gates. And again, if, if this is the guy, you know, I have Cleveland state games recorded, I'll go back and I'll watch them (laughs) and I'll verse myself on what he does. And who knows, I may come out of it and I may love it, but just on the initial glance, it's, you know, Rough offensively, leans more on defense, you know, very, very much like where he came from. And, you know, we know what Florida State's mentality is. It's junkyard defense, create turnovers, get out and run, and really, really, you know, just guys flying around, setting ball screens, you know, kind of crazily and illogically on offense. So we'll Well, see what it looks like. And, you know, it's it's a different situation. It's a different coach. Um, You know different circumstances now we're in a different league but when we look look back at mizzou's program you know since when did norm retire or be forced to retire was that 98 99 99 99 we we've had one coach who was hired away that we had any interest in keeping um and that guy pretty much did what she just described you know again different circumstances but it's worked before um, you know, defensive first, up-tempo, trap, cause havoc, jump passing lanes, get steals, get turnovers. You know, there. if you have the eye for talent or if you can land big-time talent and athletes, that can work. Um, but can you do those things, you know? And, of course, times have changed as well. Not to say that that can't work anymore even though Ham- Hamilton had a little bit of a down year, they've had a outstanding program af- over the last half decade. Um, you know, it's going to come down to personnel. Can they get those long kind of rangy guys? You know, they've been able to find Florida state always finds like, like a seven. Aiden Shaw. <laughs> there would be a Aiden would uh, fit the, the archetype here and there'd be a, another guy. Uh, on this roster that fans are worried about that they'd want to see sure. uh, stick around that would fit that. But, you know, and to the point, like Mike had four years at UAB when he was hired here, um, was coming off, you know, um, three straight NCAA tournaments when he was hired. So a little bit different uh, set of circumstances sure. there at UAB. So I think that that's, that's in my well, that, He was also in a multi-bid league at the time too. Yeah, and the CUSA was a multi-bid and, so we'll see. Um, but again, uh, it's going to be interesting if this is the move, what sort of the reaction is that, you know, we, 
we were looking at the poll kind of data tonight and you know it was pretty clear you know who the top four or five candidates on the board were you know it was todd golden matt mcmahon kim english you know jeff linder was still kind of floating around there um dennis gates is fourth from the bottom he's 14th out of 17 guys dennis gates finished with fewer votes than the field so well the field's um, a fun a really fun option though you got it it's a fun option (laughs) it's somebody else (laughs) it's the price is right behind door number two option there but yeah i mean it's to borrow finished ahead of to borrow the family guy with the who do you face jeff linder (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah, like faced... it's like, well, you've won Jeff Linder, or you can choose behind door number two. I'll take door number two. It could be anything, like a Jeff Dang. Linder. <laughs> so it was. It's it's a fun fun thing to do, but uh, it's a fun thing to do. But hey, he beat your guy Kyle Smith. Dennis he did. beat Kyle Smith. Um, so it yeah, I don't. That is this case, is the I, guy also. Clearly not on Damari Carroll's uh, approved list. So Ooh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious Damari's <laughs> thoughts on it. Um, maybe Damari's happy. He's like, yeah, I know this style. I'm all about this. He's going <laughs> to talk to Trevor and Aiden and be like, guys, th- this can work for you guys. I mean, it's the junkyard dog, the junkyard defense. It, it can all sort of fit together. But um, no, interesting. If anything... I like interesting stuff. This is certainly interesting if it goes through. Um, yeah. It, so it is a little bit out of left field because like, I do feel he's always kind of been on the periphery. Like he's been that fourth name like, out of four. It, yeah. Yeah. He's always been the last name on the list that, that whenever you kind of see it mentioned, like here are the guys being considered for Missouri, da, 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 this guy, this guy, this guy, and Dennis Gates. And you're like, okay, like, but he was also mentioned at every job opening. So it was, it was clear at this point that, you know, whoever is representing Dennis Gates, uh, their job was to make sure that it was known that he was he was ready to move on. Um, you know, well, I, the thing about it is, you know, I, I, I don't mean to go back on Cleveland State, but <laughs> Todd Golden took over a job at, what, 34 years old? That, that's a good job. I mean, the West Coast Conference is probably the seventh, maybe eighth best conference in all college basketball. You know, he got an opportunity yeah. that a lot of guys his age didn't right. get, and he capitalized on it. Um, Gates came up the hard way, spent a lot of, lot of years as an assistant on the bench, and he took Cleveland State. No one with great options takes Cleveland State as their first head coaching job. You know, it's it's not a, a bad school by any means, but it's just a hard place to win. The league is not a not a particularly strong one. Um, through my research, I saw that Cleveland State is not really a big spender. Surprise, surprise! And uh, you know, college basketball. It's it's yeah. just a you're you're in a basketball heavy state, but I mean, Cleveland. You're you're close to the Michigan schools. You're close to the Ohio schools. There's what a half dozen MAC schools. You know, right around there, you're, you're really reaching for talent. Um, it's it's hard to get guys. And Ohio is a, you know, there's a lot of talent that comes out of there, but there's so many mouths to feed. So by the time you get down to the Cleveland states, the right states, you know, those types of schools, you're, you're really struggling to recruit regionally and still have anything left. So, <clears throat> you know, and 
you're probably not pulling a whole lot of guys half the country away um, up to Cleveland for that for that spot. So, you know, it doesn't mean that he can't, but it's just that it, it's a hard job and he didn't have the opportunity that he may have had he been at a school like Murray even, who has a very demonstrated history of success. You know, they, they want to win and the OVC isn't a tremendously better league than the horizon, but Murray is a lot better job than Cleveland state. So it's just, you know, what, what do you do in context of the job is what's important to me at least. And to defend him, I, what I loved about when I researched it was so many guys went in the portal, but that guy called, and just leverage so many JUCO connections. I think he got guys out of a JUCO in Texas, got a guy out of a JUCO in Wyoming, JUCO in Florida. Like the guy worked JUCOs. So there's connections there. There are guys that, you know, I, I tend to agree with when he says sure. JUCOs are being undervalued now as far as a recruiting option there. You know, Sean East well, is a we guy. we said last podcast that like, you know, looking forward, like junior college, you know, because of the COVID year, the number of, you know, players that kind of had to go in, you know, to to play college basketball in different ways, that JUCO in the next couple of years is probably going to be like fairly, uh, like well, one of our favorite options the on the on the poll, and, Dane Altman, heavy in JUCO recruiting for a high major school. I mean, they they don't high majors don't yep, dabble much yep. in junior college anymore, but Altman still does, and he's had good success with it. Right, and you know, McCaslin's gone into the JUCO rank. So I think sure. that's my thing is that there are guys there, if you know how to work the JUCOs, if you have a good sense of how to operate in that space, that's a market inefficiency for you. If you can go get guys there, like we, Sean East is a guy that's got an offer from Missouri, put up 43 you know, in a national tournament out there. A guy who left Bradley, went and rebooted his career at John A. Logan. That's a guy that's up there. You know, Missouri offered a kid out of, you know, Northwest Florida who's going to play for the JUCO national title. DeShondre Washington, who had a growth spurt and had some injury issues in Chicago. He's playing really well now as a top 10 JUCO kid. Greg Heyer and, you know, Dennis Gates know each other. So it's going to be interesting to see if that's a space where he could operate and find guys. And, you know, the portal, you know, Florida State's recruited at a high level the last couple of years. Um, they've been in the mix for a lot of guys. They've really elevated their recruiting. Are there guys in the portal that, you know, Dennis knows through that first run with Florida State where they really liked him and Leonard, where he can kind of work back and say, look, we're going to play the same kind of style here. Come on in and and build around it. So I think stylistically, probably not my preferences, but I look at his roster building methods and I think there's probably, you know, maybe a case you can make for this being pretty interesting, pretty workable. So I don't want to be a complete pessimist here, you know, I, I'm going to try and, you know, set aside whatever misgivings I might have stylistically for. I think there's a way that this guy could execute some roster building stuff that's interesting and that could, you know, maybe help this team, you know, close a little bit of the talent gap. And last point, the SEC is not an especially skilled league. It's true. It, it's guys who are a lot of uh, athletes, a lot of athletes, defense heavy, you know. What made Alabama so good? They could shoot moderately well and just bury teams with one good scoring jack a couple of years ago. So if you're going to come into a league and you can close that gap, which I think we can all agree that Missouri hadn't closed that gap in terms of the physical talent on the roster, if you can close that gap up a little bit and if you can do it in creative ways, then I think you give yourself a fighting chance. So 
that's something that would be interesting to look at if you're, if you're looking for a kind of an optimistic outlook on, on Dennis being the guy. Uh, and I'd also say that, uh, you know, the benefit, because one of the things that we didn't quite talk about with McMahon was, um, like, with the Kentucky being upset and Murray State taking on St. Peter's, uh, you know, there's a pretty good chance that Murray State is playing in the Sweet 16. And where the Missouri roster is right now is that it is in desperate need of help and it's in desperate need of uh, somebody to come in be aware of what's going on and start transforming it into something that can be competitive next year. Uh, and I think the sooner you kind of get going on that, the better. And I realize, like, you know, a week is a week, um, you know, and, and if you were going after somebody like McMahon, maybe you're able to sort of convince him to maybe bring along one or two of his guards, uh, you know. But I, I just think that when you're sort of talking about, like, the, the timing of something, I think this is something that I tweeted out last night, the timing of uh, of bringing a coach in is is often like what ends up being part of the decision on the hire. Like we don't have time to wait on the guy that we you know like if we have a one A and a one B. Um, you know, like we have these guys tiered the same. We're gonna go get the guy who's available who can start right away. Uh, you know, and that's sort of another thing to kind of take into consideration is you know if. If Gates is really the guy, then we're probably talking about like an official announcement uh, happening here within the next day or two, and you're talking about a press conference, uh, and and as soon as there's like an agreement in terms, he's on the phone talking to recruits, he's on a plane to Stillwell, Kansas, talking to Aiden Shaw, he's making sure that he's going to Springfield and talking to Trevor Brazil, like he's trying to make sure he keeps the talent that he has. Uh, and he's able to add the talent that yeah, he doesn't. That's so. that's where they are right now. And th- honestly, the nice part where they are right now is they haven't. Now, some fans might see it as a blessing and a curse, but they haven't had a mass roster exodus at this point. You know, Anton Brookshire going in the portal was not a surprise. That that that's been out there for a while that that was going to probably happen. Um, Aiden Shaw, him and his family gave it a week, but you know, at some point you've got to. You know, maybe you hope for a fast hire, but at some point you've got to start being able to take phone calls and consider your options there. So take the LOI out, but that's a guy who's still going to consider Missouri, you know, depending on the coach. And, you know, I would not be optimistic about like Trevin Brazil, you know, for today being a guy that was going to, you know, hang a little bit. I think he's a guy who's going to draw major interest from top tier programs if he goes in the portal. At some point, you've got to make yourself available and you got to be able to field calls there. If you get Dennis Gates in here, and or if you get a coach in, and you feel like when you're not just doing it to salvage this roster, but you feel good about you know them overall and what their direction for the program is, just make the move now. Um, I, I get the concerns. I think you were saying as well that you know if we got into Monday or Tuesday without a hire, it was going to be pretty clear who the who the guy was, even if it wasn't named. It was going to be probably right. trending towards McMahon because. Could have gotten Kim English last week. That could have been done. You know, I guess what I'm surprised, but yeah, I, it it always felt that like Kim was was gonna be there if if nobody else was, and I like I think that that's that's a fine that's fine if that's your process. Uh, but I think you gotta you gotta be able to go out there and 
and and talk to as many candidates. I like I've always said like you go out there, you figure out your pool, you talk to everybody you can in your pool, and then you pick the guy you think's best. Um, and then you know if if that's what they did, then I you know I Dennis Gates uh, is maybe the guy. I like coaching is a crapshoot. Like all of this coaching hire, it's a crapshoot. We don't know who's going to work out. Um, like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to say I'm, I'm not disappointed at all. I'm just a little surprised. Um, cause I really kind of felt like we had a good handle on it. And <laughs> it's just, this well, is coming in out, my line out of, of work. When, when something um, like this happens, when you're, when you're on the record, you, you definitely go off and take a minute to process it. But we've, we've just blown right through it and talked our way through it. So <laughs> like this, I would not advise this. You just, you, you know. Yeah. Like learning, learning mid podcast that, uh, that this may be the case. Um, yeah. so, well, let's, let's wrap this up then. Cause I don't, I don't know how much, uh, uh how much additional benefit we're going to be able to give anybody. Um, if, Gates is indeed the hire. Obviously, we will talk about it again. Um, we will have some more time to sort of uh, discuss and uh, and react and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm sh- should I even like finish that McMahon post? I say we just point? bury everything. Dude. Just um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like ten I mean, o'clock on a Friday. Like I gotta have something. Um, I'm still gonna write the McMahon thing. Uh, so we'll finish McMahon. We'll uh, we'll see what happens with Gates, and we'll go from there. So if you're listening to this, you just listen to us react to things um, basically live, <laughs> uh, and hopefully it, it was okay. It was an okay pod. Uh, I want to say th- thanks for Matt Watkins for hopping on. Matt, I hope you enjoyed yourself. It was great. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, make sure that if you are not following him already, which you should be, uh, on the Twitter sphere, you can follow him at Data Mizzou. Uh, he has uh, plenty of uh, Zapruder-esque film uh, study stuff going up on on, uh, on the tweets these days. It's really well done. You can always follow Matt on Twitter at uh, MattJHarris85 and uh and me at sam peace Milling. so thanks everybody for tuning in uh we will be back probably soon as i try to figure out the rest of this and uh yeah we'll, we'll talk to you soon thanks for